Across the nation in the tri-state region, economic indicators are great, but a quarter of people in this area in Philadelphia say they live in poverty and one in five people are hungry. Why the disconnect? Let's get the inside story. Good morning, welcome to Inside Story. Hope you're figuring out the latest way to repurpose some of those Thanksgiving leftovers and watching us. Let's introduce you to our panel. First up, we've got attorney AJ Raju. Good to see you. Good morning. We've got communications exec Jeff Jubilier. Hey, Tam. Journalist Larry Platt. Good morning. And nonprofit exec Farah Jimenez, who, boy, is this right in your bailiwick. <laughs> You've dealt with these populations. Glad that you are here. Let's paint the difference in pictures. Nationally, 250,000 jobs created in October. They say people are hiring in healthcare, manufacturing, transportation, and warehousing, things it seems like a lot of people here would be able to do. Unemployment in Pennsylvania at a two-decade low. New Jersey, Delaware, also good numbers, and payrolls are at an all-time high. People are expected to spend like crazy for Christmas. But then let's look at Philadelphia. 5.2% unemployment, higher than most of the areas in the region. Over the last six years, food insecurity is up 22%. 300,000 people in the city. A fifth of the population says they are regularly hungry. And of that, 250,000 of them are working. This is not people just sitting there, not trying to figure out a way how to take care of themselves. Why the disconnect? Well, a lot of it is about um, our attempts in Philadelphia to solve problems are focused on the, on the ends. So mm -hmm. we're looking at how do we increase wages. And so we falsely try and challenge the market by creating an increase in our minimum wage. Or um, how do we solve for uh, hunger? So we do kind of nonprofit solutions. At their core, the way that you address there has to be systemic. I mean, Philadelphia, in addition to being at the very top in poverty amongst uh, the largest cities in the nation, we're at the very bottom in college attainment. Mm -hmm. We're 92nd out of 100 cities in college attainment. We have um, a system of education where 67% of our students are graduating, but that means 33% of our high school students are not completing mm -hmm. their education. Co education is a long lead item. And we have to do better in terms of making investments to ensure that kids are prepared for the jobs, not of today, but the jobs of the future. A lot of times that people are working, absolutely. I used to work in homeless services. A lot of our mothers who were single were working, but they were working in jobs that were only available to them because for the for a substantial portion of their lives. They had to be at home to take care of kids. They were uh, working, they were being sustained by the system and they weren't creating a resume that was hardy and strong. And so when they finally re-entered the workforce, they had dependents, but they also didn't have the education or the Skills. work track record to get the jobs that were gonna be family sustaining. So Philadelphia, blue collar city, it has a history of people, many generations here, walked out of high school and right onto the job not getting the college education that many people think you, you absolutely need now, but people were able to take care of families. When I look at this list of jobs, working with your hands, manufacturing, transportation, warehousing, I still don't understand because that seems like even if you didn't get that higher education, you could do that. Why not? Well, one of the things is I think we've got to take a step back and look at, at the 40-year history, 50 year history of poverty in America. You know, when LBJ announced the war on poverty in 1965, poverty was at 19% nationally. Uh, $6 trillion later, it's at 16% nationally. So to 
keep doing what we've always done is a prescription for getting what we've always gotten. And there's one major city in America that has seen a decrease in the poverty level over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, and that's New York. Poverty's dropped uh, 4% where Mayor Bloomberg started an in-house innovative uh, system that was part of the mayor's office. So he took accountability and they lowered the poverty rate by 4% by just trying stuff. Some stuff didn't work. Like they actually paid families for positive results. If you got an A on your yeah. report card, your, your parents got a check from the city. Uh, that didn't, that, but they tried stuff. They, they, they discontinued 20% of their own pro programs because they failed fast. And the result was a new sense of urgency about lifting people up. Fail fast and break things, mm -hmm. Silicon Valley, some things will break, but some things will work. Mm -hmm. um, AJ, you also look at this and you wonder, is part, and Jeff, is part of this the tax structure? Because you lose out on businesses or entrepreneurship that would come here. I hear people say, it is just too hard mm -hmm. to try to start a business, or why would somebody come here between the unions and the taxes I'm going to go someplace else. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. I think they all work in concert with one another. Mm -hmm. So not only that, but you have health care, which is the biggest cause. So people <coughs> who are in poverty generally can't afford necessarily to go see the doctor, and then they have to pay or be on, on support through Medicaid or what have you. Then they're exposed to crime, which then leads to investments that need to be made in trauma care. Um, and also housing costs and rental costs. So the, one of the, the positives of this, of, these, of this data is a lot of people coming into the city, and Philadelphia city proper has grown, it's the young people, mm -hmm. and they're taking a lot of these jobs of today and tomorrow, but with that comes, oh, they can afford more, we're gonna uh, hike our rents up, the price of housing costs more, so all the money that comes in for these part-time jobs that aren't paying enough have to go to these other things. But as you said, Tamala, then you have the business investment, which we look, if you look at the competition, not including Amazon, that's a whole different game, but just small businesses, you have a choice to make. You can come to Philadelphia, pay, have your employees have to pay, and then you want the wage tax, and use an occupancy tax, and um, net profits tax, and net revenue tax, you have all these taxes, or you could go to Chester County, to Montgomery County, what have you, and there's still a strong workforce there without those taxes, that's and the union problem. That's that's a real problem. Chester County at the lowest the lowest rate in the whole region. Of the whole region. Well, I mean, I think it's a sixty-year problem in the making. Uh, we have had a leadership vacuum. Uh, if you think about every major innovation that has happened in the country, whether it's internet, big data, you know, you name it, nanotechnology, advanced uh, uh, electronics, or uh, 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 anything that you can think about that has uh, dominated uh, Silicon Valley, Boston, Seattle, other economies, we've missed it. And the reason we missed it is because of lack of leadership. Um, and, and as simple as that. I, th I think one of the things that's really important to understand too is the nature of the economy in Philadelphia. So we're an Eds and Meds economy and what that means is we're based on industries that are not easily mobile. They are based on large physical plants that are contained in geography. And as a result, one of the things that I think is a challenge for Philadelphia is how do you create the kind of tax environment, business environment that creates the kinds of opportunities where people can really well, start to build their careers. Look, we're a trust fund city. What we have inherited, <laughs> the Eds and Meds that you talk about, the arts and culture we are proud of, we inherited two generations, from two generations ago. We have sort of maintained it. But if you look at what Penn Medicine has done for 20 years, uh, slowly built the immuno-oncology revolution, mm -hmm. that is creating tons of jobs. So it is not that, look, Penn Medicine, Wharton, museums, 
that's our Cuban cigar. The rest of us are Cuba. We're stuck in 1960. <laughs> Nothing has moved for us. So for us, it has been a leadership problem. The problem is the bottom 40 do not vote, they don't have a voice, and poverty here doesn't matter. It's a short-term band-aid that we do every time. A new person gets elected, they don't have any accountability, a new person comes in four years later, and we keep kicking the can down the road, and there's no accountability. We're not going back and saying what happened for the past administration. We keep coming up with new promises, and the bottom 40 don't matter in this city, Quick and it's pretty obvious. Wrap up, uh, AJ is exactly right. We need a Marshall Plan for equitable, uh, uh, for the equitable addressing of, of poverty and economic growth. Uh, they are tied together, and that's where the business community needs to lead. When I mentioned Bloomberg before, he, he put business leaders, uh, uh, Dick Parsons from uh, yeah. Time Warner and, and uh, uh, the guy who started Harlem Children's Zone, in charge of that Jeffrey project. Canada. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk a little bit about some, an interesting study that came out from a nonprofit called More in Common. We've come out of midterms. People probably tried not to talk about politics <laughs> over the turkey this week, but they found something really interesting. Interesting. We think there's so much division. It turns out that 8% of the people, they say, are very left. They call them progressive activists. 6% are very conservative. They call them devoted conservative. They tend to be highly educated, white, um, on social media, wealthy. Mm -hmm. This is their thing, is politics. Everybody else, 67%, they say is in what they call the exhausted majority. They say it's racially diverse, educationally diverse. They want politics in the background, and yet we saw some of the highest numbers of people coming out to vote in the midterm. How is this all true? Most of us are exhausted and don't want to <laughs> do it anymore, but they turned out for the midterms. Mm -hmm. How do you explain yeah, all it's that? It's the system. How do we elect those who lead us? It's through districts would have traditionally been gerrymandered, so it rewards those that run to the right or run to the left. When the Pennsylvania Supreme Court changed the map in Pennsylvania, what we saw was a result. Whether we liked that they did that or not, there were four or more new individuals representing us in Congress. And if we don't have the ability to elect the guy like in, uh, the former uh, resident of the area, John, uh, Hickenlooper, out of the Colorado governor, John Hickenlooper, who is, or a John Kasich, they can't win in their party primaries. They are too, they're in the exhausted majority. Until there is a movement where independents can nominate someone and, and folks can get behind, there is no reward for being in the exhausted majority. But does this tell us that is coming? People have said, okay, I, we've seen what division looks like, we want to do something We hope different. it's the antidote no, I think, to I think, I think people who have the loudest voices are the, are the extremes, or the left or the right. And we live in gated communities where our getters of grievances are our new Twitter feed or the, our social media post. And our algorithm culture is such that we are more entrenched into our bias and calcify our beliefs and, 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 uh, uh, and hatred by identifying the other and then you know, focusing on what our tribe is. That will continue to go on as long as we're on social media. We no longer have the sort of the Walter Cronkites telling us uh, what the news is. Today, somebody sitting in underwear in a basement is telling us what to believe in and, and who to hate. And I think until that happens, we will be divided. It doesn't matter whether we hate it or not. We're but exhausted. You can be, it is, it is they sound is. very movable, though. They sound like they're really open to various politicians if they could sound reasonable, regardless of party. I would love to see someone like Beto O'Rourke. And I'd love to see them without a party label. Why does it have to be a Democrat or Republican? I think we have to be careful about those polls. I think there definitely is an exhausted majority, but they weren't sufficiently exhausted to not show up at the polls in, in mm -hmm. force, in part because they were animated by anger or fear. Yeah. And so if you were concerned about Trump, you went out 
all you know guns ablaze, and if you were concerned about um, uh, the rule of law, if, and you can see that would happen with the Kavanaugh hearing, that a lot of conservatives got really motivated, who were going to sit it out pretty much, but got really energized to go out and vote because they were concerned about um, where the direction of the country was going, and so. That's what motivates people. But I think where they're exhausted is they're exhausted with the tenor of the debate. Mm -hmm. They're exhausted that no one's giving the kind of olive branch, that our politicians aren't willing to work across the aisle. There was a really compelling moment when the Mike Pompeo uh, hearing for when he was um, being placed as uh, defense secretary, Mike Pompeo um, in front of the Senate, um, the the Jeff Flake started to tear up because Chris Coons, who's a senator from Delaware, decided he was going to vote present. Even though he was opposed to Mike Pompeo getting uh, the confirmation, he was going to vote present so that the so that the Republicans could get their majority vote and get it out of committee because one of the Republicans was attending a funeral and otherwise would have had to fl fly back very right. quickly. That reason that that tear Jeff Flake up is because that doesn't happen anymore. anymore. That used to be what we did all the time. Another thing that they pointed out in this study, and it was surprising because it was across groups, is they said, they said they're tired of political correctness, but I don't think it meant, I wish I could say whatever I wanted. It was more, I don't know what I can say. Mm -hmm. They quoted a Native American man saying, well, do I say black or African American? Mm -hmm. Can I say Jewish? And if I do, am I going to get my face screamed off that people don't know how to proceed? Well, I think, I think what we're really saying without saying it is that it, there's part of a media critique here and mm -hmm. I think Tam you those of us in the media bear some responsibility for the for the the depths to which our national discourse has sunk um, and part of that is because of the of, of the the bottom line incentives uh, to just chronicle the stenography of who called who a name yesterday <laughs> and that that fuels uh, uh, apathy and and cynicism, and and beyond that, and if all you do is unearth scandal, and I, I'm I'm all for investigative reporting, but if that's all you do, what has happened is it numbs the electorate into apathy. And but they think to, everybody's a bad guy. But, so right. but, to, but to add to that, I mean, look, I think for me, when I look at the civil rights movement of the past and compare it to important movements now, because I think it is important to be woke at this point. Uh, especially in today, uh, today's history. But some of it is no, not just social justice, some of it is social vengeance. And when you inject social vengeance into the hands of many that have social media yeah. and others, that's when it gets uh, a little dirtier. All right, well, we'll have to take a little break and we'll come right back to more Inside Story. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back to Inside Story. Senator Bob Casey of PA was talking about a number of things in an interview. He was asked, of course, about 2020. He said there are 2025 people he can think of, and they suggested his name could be on the list. He says it'll boil down to really four or five people who truly have a shot. And he said what's going to be different is he could see congressmen, he could see mayors, he could see business people, that Trump has opened this door, that it's no longer just senators or governors that we're likely to see. We've talked about Booker, we've talked about Casey. Is there anybody else here locally further down the line who you think might get in it and have a shot for 2020? Well, I mean, a, a dream candidate for some is an, 
uh, is a bit of an unknown, which is Senator Chris Coons mm -hmm. um, from mm -hmm. Delaware, partly because of the reasons I stated earlier in terms of his willingness to be more of a traditional senator and be more open to um, a Republican viewpoint and being able to um, be open to bipartisan perspectives. Um, but I also think a hometown boy, which we don't consider hometown anymore, is John Hickenlooper from yeah. Colorado. Um, born in Arbroath, went to Haverford School, so has some local connections, currently has uh, somebody socializing his candidacy, Sam Katz, mm -hmm. uh, in his corner. So uh, he's going to get some airtime here later this month in uh, the Philadelphia area, so it's worth watching. I, see, I also thought Connor Lamb, maybe from the uh, western part of the state, he's gotten a lot of attention. Yeah, down the road, I don't know, he's a little, yeah, exactly. little premature. He is definitely someone to watch. But let's take up Bob Casey for a second. Here's a guy that, you know, he's not very exciting, and I'm not saying that pejoratively. Um, he has the right profile. Let's be clear. Pennsylvania is really going to matter in 2020. Pennsylvania and the Midwest. And that's where you saw the Democrats have a better night than when Trump did back in 2016 when he won carried those states in the Midwest, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Ohio. Um, he's fairly moderate in terms of the Democratic side. He has a union support. Right. He's become more progressive on social but issues. can he electrify people the no. way no. we've no. seen? No. And that is no. an issue. I mean, no, it is. I just, not, I just throw that out there that a people. Pennsylvanian would be attractive uh, Maybe on the in second, the Democratic the side. Maybe yeah. spot on the ticket. I, I think what the country needs is someone who's run something uh, and and that's where I think your your point about John Hickenlooper, uh, uh, ideally a Hickenlooper like Kasich ticket, which has been yes. talked about. Uh, and, and but I think Hickenlooper's a middle of the road. We need reasonableness <laughs> and how we about, need civility. How about how about Bloomberg, Beto work for yes. VP? You know this whole notion of getting celebrities and others to run. It will be it's similar to asking plumbers to fly airplanes because you know we have that couple of air, but air crashes. But is Beto seen as too left at this no, point? No, no. I yes. think he's a moderate. Well, I think he's somewhat. He's a reasonable. He's he is. First of all, he's seen as too left. To a, to a conservative, <laughs> but he's, he's a left. rock star. Tim. He's a rock he's star. He's a rock star who ran a great. I'm sorry. He's a good man. He's a good man. I agree that he's liberal. No, he lost no, no, no. But there's also Texas. Yeah, but even that's a win. Well, <laughs> we're going to bring liberal. it all out. You know, we talked about the Iverson, the Jimmy Butler liberal. hug. We're going to hug it all out here. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving. Let's talk, let's go around the table politically. Yeah. What are you thankful for in this season? We, we talk about what doesn't work, but is there anything you're thankful for? You know, I, uh, I'm really thankful that we live in a region where we have organizations like Penn Medicine and CHOP, uh, where we, if you, if the, our health is the most important thing for family and friends, the doctors and the, and the folks who work at Penn Medicine, CHOP, Jefferson, Temple Health and others, we're blessed to be in I'm going to give you a political thank you. <laughs> okay. Okay, what I'm thankful for is uh, that we reelected Martina Wright. A, North, a Republican who's in the Northeast uh, won once again, almost unheard of for Republicans in this uh, round of elections. What's key about that is despite the fact that we're a Democrat city, we reside in a state that ha has a Republican legislature. If we want to be able to yes. make change and affect what happens statewide and also levy resources for Philadelphia, you've got to have somebody who can caucus with the Republicans. So uh, my hope is that Martino will introduce additional Republicans. Uh, engage, engagement. We talked about just the, the level of interest in elections and the level of candidates who ran in this last cycle. Again, Democrat, Republican, Republican, we had someone like Pearl Kim, who we didn't hear enough about. A great candidate, Korean American, bringing new ideas to the Republican Party. You had four women elected uh, in the Southeast. The more people that get involved, the more that real change, that, aren't, that folks aren't beholden to special interests. 
we can actually get some good things done. Majority rule works best with a majority participating. Yeah, we saw couldn't more agree of that. More. So in addition to be just being thankful for the friendship of A.J. Raju, <laughs> my, my brother from an Indian mother, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm thankful for 50% voter turnout. Yeah. You know, um, uh, this is the American city where democracy was born. And we have in the past, the not so distant past, celebrated 17% voter yeah. turnout of registered <laughs> voters. So the more that we can, uh, I, and I agree with Jeff, that, yeah. that civic engagement is, is high, but now we have to figure out what to be for, not just right. what to be against. Yeah. And really quickly, mm -hmm. we're about to wrap up this segment. Speaking of what we're for, we're about to go into the mayor's race. Who knows who will jump in? Alan Butkovitz says he's in it. Is there anything to be said for being first as a challenger, or this is his moment, enjoy it, because we're going to probably not be talking about him as we get closer? <laughs> oh, I think there's, listen, almost every mayoral election, there was always a clear front runner, and yet they didn't end up winning. We remember when Chaka Fatah was a right. front runner, mm -hmm. and Lynn Abraham was a front runner. I mean, there's always going to be a narrative that happens very early in the race, and one that becomes revealed later in the race. And so there's a mm -hmm. lot of time between now and election day, uh, primary election day, it will be depend on how much he's able to raise and also how much of the airspace he can can claim to provide a counter narrative. And to be fair to him, I remember when people said Michael Nutter didn't have a chance. That's right. He had a great ad and things <laughs> took him over the around. Top. So but that was an open yeah. election. It yeah, wasn't yeah. against an incumbent. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, but, but I think there will be other candidates. I think Tony Williams yeah. will get in. And there's a poll in the field testing Jeff Brown So so uh, of ShopRite. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. Up, we're talking about things being so different, lots of other people getting in. Will we hear a name that surprises us for the mayor's race, maybe a non-political name, somebody who maybe fits that exhausted majority? Not on the Republican side, I, unfortunately. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think yeah, this is the, so. a region that attracts A students uh, for elected office. <laughs> I think it's also very difficult under our election finance laws to raise well, the money. Well, it's someone who can self-fund. Self yes. Jeff Brown from ShopRite, anti-soda tax, is that type of candidate. Yeah, right. Alan well, Dunn, but he's political. Well, I can't self-fund this show. CBC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back. Time now for Inside Stories of the Week. AJ, we'll start with you. So November 30th, everybody's talking about John Hickenlooper, and there's so many other great speakers that the Philadelphia Citizen will be bringing for an Ideas You Can Steal Festival. Larry great will be name. on stage, yeah. uh, Ali Velshi, Hickenlooper, mm -hmm. and so many others. And go to Drex University, but more important, go to uh, thephiladelphiacitizen.org for information. All right. Jeff. We talked to the today a little bit about 2020. You know what I'm really excited about? Let's skip ahead two years, 2022. <laughs> That's when we have an open Pennsylvania gubernatorial race and an op what will be another U.S. Senate race. What will Pat Toomey do? Some have said he might be interested in running for governor on the Republican side. But in the Democratic side, you have a deep bench. You have three row officers, young, very popular. You have Attorney General Josh Shapiro. You have Auditor General Gene DePecas-Basquel, excuse me for butchering the last name if I did, and then you have Treasurer Joe Torcella. What, what will shake out? Who will run for what? Will Josh Shapiro run for governor or Senate? Pennsylvania will be in the mix. And they're all known for ideas, which Absolutely. is nice. Larry. Uh, it feels to me like in the aftermath of not winning the Amazon bid, we, we, the, our elected officials and, and some civic leaders have been 
celebrating like getting a participatory a participation trophy uh, I think what great cities do is they have an autopsy and a couple <laughs> of business leaders are talking about doing this why did we not get, get the get the nod and the preliminary results are that what we talked about the tax structure right. and and our schools I think they also knew it was always going to New York and DC <laughs> fair this Thanksgiving weekend let's stay with the theme of gratitude and one person I'm grateful for is Eileen Heisman who is the president of the National Philanthropic Trust uh, She's a local girl who uh, co-founded the Giving Tuesday hashtag. Yeah. So let's all take advantage mm. of Giving Tuesday and make sure you're supporting your philanthropies in Philadelphia to improve our poverty. Great place to end. It Thank is. you for joining us on Inside Story. <laughs> we hope you've had a wonderful holiday season. We'll see you back here next Sunday.